work in this nation, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, last week we heard a fantastic sermon by Pastor Dan Arnold. It was a great sermon on prayer, really challenging. If you missed it, I really do encourage you all to listen to it again online. And the week before that, Mark Lofthouse gave a great sermon on the love of God, about the unending, unstopping love of God. And I'm afraid today you're going to be stuck with me. <laughs> but at least next week, Pastor Kevin and the Berthune family will be back, and uh, things will be back to normal after that. So we're looking forward to the Berthune family being amongst us again. So this week, I thought we would ha- take a look at the legendary psalm, that is Psalm 119. So I hope you haven't got a chicken in the oven because it'll be cremated by the time we're done. (laughs) No worries. Don't worry. I'm not doing the full 176 verses. I'm only going to be doing the first eight verses. You'll be glad to hear. So first of all, let's read Psalm 119, verse 1 to 8. It says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes, then I would not be ashamed. When I look into all your commandments, I will praise you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Yeah. And Father, we just uh, thank you for all this psalm, Lord. It's so rich about concerning your word, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that our hearts will be open to hear what you have to say to us through your word about your holy word, Lord. So, Lord, we just uh, want to just be ready for your Holy Spirit to work in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, first of all, I thought with intro, we'll look at Psalm 119 and numbers, because there's quite a lot of numbers in Psalm 119. For example, did you know that in the original Hebrew language, there are 22 letters? Like ours, we've got 26. Hebrews language, we had 22. And the book of, um, in Psalm 119, you've got 22 sections of eight verses each. So... What that meant was that each section started with the letter of our alphabet in Hebrew language. So, for example, in what we're going to be looking at, Alpha, Aleph even, sorry, every line would have started with essentially what would be, be A. But sadly, this is kind of lost in translation. So when you come to English, it doesn't match up like that. But yet, in the original Hebrew language, it would have been like that, which in actual fact, somehow enough, would have made it easier to memorize. So... That'll be a challenge, everyone, to memorize Psalm 119. Apparently, few have. And also, if you look through Psalm 119, especially in those first few verses, you'll see that there's a great correlation between this psalm and Psalm 19, which, if you remember, last time I was up here, I taught. Especially if you look at Psalm 19, verses 7 to 9, which say, The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous 
altogether. So raise words, law, testimony, statutes, commandments, judgments, same words what you see in 19 are scattered throughout Psalm 119. Law is used 25 times in this book, Psalm. And law means to teach or direct. Testimonies, that word, is used 23 times in this psalm, and it relates to witness, to obey his testimonies. Statutes is used 21 times in this psalm, and it means to engrave or inscribe the ideas that the written word of God is inscribed or engraved, and back then it would have been tablets of stone or on paper, and today it's written on the flesh of our hearts. Commandments used 22 times and emphasizes the straight authority of what is said. And then judgments is used 23 times. It means to determine or regulate. And there's about two other words used within Psalm 119, which aren't in Psalm 19, but also refer to God's word. Um, The word word is used to describe uh, the Bible. And that's used some 43 times. There's two different Hebrew words used, but between the two of them, it's about 43 occasions they appear. And it means either the spoken word of God or the word which God has spoken or commanded or promised. And then lastly, there's the word precepts, which are used 21 times. This word is drawn from the sphere of an officer or governor, a man responsible for looking closely into a situation or matter and take an action, almost as their ideas, our responsibility is to look closely at God's word and examine it and take action. So, about Psalm 119 in Numbers, what about the author? You notice that Psalm 119 isn't attributed to the author. Some older scholars would say it was David who wrote this psalm over his lifespan, Uh, given his life's experiences. Others believe it was probably more written in the time of the, after the Jewish exile, so in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. But regardless of that, we're not given the exact author of this psalm. Uh, But ultimately, God wrote the psalm. There's a great psalm, and I'm excited to read through it with you. So let's start off in verses 1 to 3. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They do also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. So blessed means essentially happy. Happy are the undefiled. Happy are the blameless. And you know what? This world is all about happiness, isn't it? It's always whatever makes you happy, pursue that. And there's lots of things which can make people feel happy. A lot of good things, a lot of bad things, which people find happiness. But yet, no matter what they find that happiness in, most of the time, that happiness is just temporal. It's not lasting. It's there whilst they're enjoying that activity which makes them happy, but afterwards, they feel empty. They feel void. Because ultimately, there's no other lasting joy or happiness apart from within Christ. So, True happiness and joy can only be found by living a life that's honour and pleasing to God. A life that's, as it says here, undefiled. A life free from the lustful desires and self-centred ways of this world. 
And Jesus kind of picked up on the same uh, idea as he said in John 15. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the implication there is Jesus saying, obey my commandments as I have obeyed my commandments, and the joy that I have will be in you because you are keeping my commandments. So blessed and happy are those who keep the commandments of the Lord. But notice what it says as well. Not just blessed are they undefiled in the way, but blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who walk. And the Christian life throughout the whole scripture is often referred to as a walk. When you walk in, when you think about it, you're walking from one place to another. You have a destination, a purpose, and even you may have obstacles in your walk. For example, most days I walk from my sofa to the kitchen to get the biscuit tin. My destination is the kitchen. My objective is to get biscuits. And my obstacles are the furniture and the uh, toys laying around the house. But yet, same stance in the Christian life. What is our purpose? What are we walking towards? Walking towards heaven, eternity with Christ. What is our objective in this walk? To bring as many as long we can with us in our walk. And what are the obstacles? It's our flesh. It's the world around us. And Peter picked up on this idea of a walk to eternity when he wrote to all the Christian folks in, across the uh, Galatia world when he said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispensation in Pontus, Galatea, and a few other places I can't pronounce. And then uh, later on in the same epistle, he said, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshy lusts, which war against his soul. If you're wondering what a pilgrim and soul journey are, pilgrim is essentially someone who's traveling on a holy, uh, traveling to a holy place. So we're pilgrims, we're traveling to a holy place, which is heaven eternal. Sojourner is someone who with a temporary residence and temporary living in a place. The emphasis on the word temporary. We are temporarily living here on this earth, going to our official place, which is in heaven. So we are travelers walking through this world, walking to eternity. And as I said earlier, our goal is to bring as many as we can along with us. Walking is also picked up in elsewhere in the Bible, about Galatians 5, 16, where it says about walking in the spirit. So remember, walking is a verb, it's a doing word. Requires action, requires movement, and actively living out your life in a way that on uh, according to His commandments, which are found in the law of the Lord. So basically, when you're walking in the Spirit, your life should be reflecting what's in the Bible. And remember, law is teaching, is direction, and walking in His teaching and His direction. Verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. 
So happy are those who keep his testimonies. And tes- uh, the word keep is interesting. It kind of gives the idea of guarding, being watchful, protecting, preserving. So almost as if it's saying, blessed are those who are willing to give up their lives to protect and to watch and preserve the word of God. And you think, well, how can someone protect and preserve the word of God? Isn't there many past teachers out there who are trying to water down the word of God, trying to minimize its effect on the, the world and trying to minimize the impact what sin has upon people? But yet we need to protect what the word of God says, stay true to what the word of God says. We need to keep these testimonies. And notice there, it says, seek. Blessed are those who seek him with the whole heart. Now, it's interesting, the last three Sundays, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 have been quoted. But it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Notice it says all, just like here. It says, with the whole heart. The idea is the same. Seek with all your heart. Trust with all your heart. Seeking and trusting God isn't a half-hearted thing. It requires all your heart. A blessed, happy person devotes all their heart to seeking and trusting. After all, Jesus said in Matthew 16, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. They essentially mean about seeking God with all your heart, requires you taking up your cross, denying yourself, denying your own desires, denying your own ambitions and your own needs, and letting the self die and following Jesus. That is seeking God with all your heart. Verse 3. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. So happy are those who do no iniquity. And now we're happier those who do no wickedness, do no sinfulness, do no morality, do no vice or evil or criminality or vileness or foulness or dreadfulness or obscenity or ungodliness or transgression or wrongdoing, offence or violation. Gosh. Do no iniquity. Blessed are those. Our lives essentially should be pure, holy, incorruptible, sinless and God-centered. So we are called to walk, to seek, and to um, to walk, sorry, to seek those things uh, according to his holy word. But what a list. Yeah. Blessed are those who are undefiled. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Mm-hmm. Blessed are those who seek him with all his heart. Blessed are those who... Do no iniquity. And I no doubt that you may be sitting there thinking, gosh, that doesn't sound like me. How can I be this blessed person? Like, can you really say that you're undefiled in the way? Can we truly say that we totally walk in God's law all the time? Can we truly say that we keep his testimonies all the time? Can we truly say that we seek him with our whole heart all the time? Can we truly say that there is no iniquity within us. I know I can't. I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm defiled. I'm corrupted. 
with the ways of this world, his passing pleasures. I can't really be this blessed person. And you know what? I think the psalmist knew this when he was writing it. See what he says in verse 5 and 6. He says, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. Notice he says, but oh, my ways were directed. The implication being that his ways were not directed. And he had what would be the most natural attitude, that he was ashamed. But what was he ashamed of? Ashamed that he looked at the standard, what God has set in his holy word, and he realized he missed the mark. He realized he didn't meet those standards. Because the natural person is in rebellion against God, the natural flesh. Paul wrote this in Second Corinthians, uh, sorry, First Corinthians, verse uh, chapter two, in verse fourteen. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And again to the Ephesians, he writes. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of a heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to walk or uncleanliness with greediness. Since the fall, man's natural instinct has been to rebel against God. And I suppose if man were to sincerely look into God's word and see the standard of what God has put in his holy word, he would only but be ashamed of his own sinful nature. And as I said earlier, the writer here realized he missed the mark. And missing the mark is the idea of an archer, maybe perhaps like the Green Arrow or uh, the other MC one, which I forget on the top of my head. But if you think about an archer with a bow, and he pulls back his uh, arrow on his bow, and he lets go, and he's aiming for his target, which he sees in front of him. But yet his arrow misses his target, misses his mark, and goes into a field beyond him. That's what sin is. Sin is us aiming for our target. Our target is a standard, what God set in his holy word, which is perfection. And we miss that mark. We miss the mark of perfection and end up in defiled. But you know what? It's actually okay. Now it sounds crazy, but it's okay that we miss the mark. Why is it okay? Because ultimately, there is one who met God's standard. Amen. There is one who lived a life that was undefiled. There was one who lived a life that was sinless and pure. There was one that kept 100% of God's word 100% of the time. And he truly sought after God's and God's will with all of his heart. And he walked continually before God according to God's word and according to God's will. And as Haley just said, muttered, that man is Jesus Christ. Jesus was most truly the blessed man who ever walked upon this earth. He lived the perfect life. And why? He lived a perfect life so that he who knew no sin could be made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness in God in him. Jesus lived that perfect life and became our perfect sacrifice and bore our sin so we could become acceptable before God and call children.
of God. For when God looks at us, thankfully no longer sees the messiness of our sin from nature, he sees his beautiful son, Jesus Christ. An example of this is if you think about an Israelite back in the day when they went to worship God, they'd worship him with a sacrifice, maybe a lamb. They'd take that lamb along to the priest who would offer it to God. But what would the priest examine? What would the priest examine? Would he examine a person bringing the sacrifice or would he examine the sacrifice? He'd examine the sacrifice. He'd make sure that the sacrifice is pure. He'd make sure the sacrifice is beautiful. He'd make sure that the sacrifice has no spot or blemish on it. He'd make sure that the sacrifice is perfect. In the same way, when we come before our Father God with our worship, God sees our perfect sacrifice, which is his Son, Jesus Christ. So bringing it back to Psalm 19, we may not live up to the standards which God has set out there in verse 1 to 3, but yet Jesus sure has. But yet, I suppose this leads us to a question. If we can't live that blessed life, if we do not meet the standards that are set out in verses 1 to 3, then, um, but we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and covered by his sacrifice so we don't have to do we even attempt to live this impossible blessed life do we even attempt to be undefiled do we even attempt to walk in his law do we even attempt to seek him for our heart do we even bother attempting to be no iniquity in our hearts knowing that we have got a sinful nature it's a good question it's a question that paul asked in romans chapter six and he not only see asked and answer this question once but twice in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6 verse 1 he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may be bound? And in verse 15 he says, What then? Shall sin, uh, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? And both times Paul responds with the words, Certainly not. Certainly not. Because in verse 2 he says, how, she, uh, sorry, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Verse 22, he says, But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, have you the fruit to holiness and to the end everlasting life? Paul answered that question. Yes, we may not reach these standards on our own, but yet we shall not live any longer under sin and the power of sin in our lives, but yet we shall pursue holiness. And no doubt that Paul, when he was writing that, had in his mind. Leviticus 11, verse 45, which God said to the children of Israel, I am the Lord your God who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So God was telling the children of Israel to be holy. But yet Peter, talking to the church in his uh, epistle, said the exact same thing to the church. He said in 1 Peter 1, in verse 15, but he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct. And if you call uh, yourselves throughout the time when you stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible fins like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
as of a lamb without blemish and without spoiler. So the Bible exhorts us to live holy lives before God. And Psalm 119 verse 1 to 8 is no different. Looked at verse 4, which it says there, you have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Diligently. Diligently means zealously. It means dedicated, committed. It means driven, active, busy. It means unflagging, untiring. So we need to be all those things when we come in pondering, meditating, and studying and keeping God's holy word. And we have a God-given responsibility to live out our lives in a godly way so that our lives reflect the word of God and what his word teaches us. So ultimately, we can become like that blessed person mentioned in verses 1 to 3. We can be undefiled. We can be walking in the law, Lord. We can keep his testimonies. We can seek him with all our heart. We can live lives with no iniquity and walk in his ways. But we can't do it on our own. You try and live this holy life in your own ability, in your own strength. Trust me, you're going to fall flat. You won't succeed. Because the only way to live this godly life that God has called us to live is, as I said earlier, by walking in his spirit. I'll read that verse again. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. And Paul said something very similar in Romans, didn't he? Why do I do the things I do not want to do, but yet do the things, sorry, why do I do the things I do not wish to do, but don't do those things I wish to do? Psalm 1 even says something similar. It says, blessed is the man, or happy is a man, who walks not in the council of ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful. Notice that progression? First we stand in with the sinners, uh, sinners. So first of all, you're walking and once it cancel on ungodly, then you're standing in their path. And then before you know it, you're just chilling out and sitting with them. But notice in Psalm 1, verse 2, the blessed man has his delight in the law of the Lord, in which he meditates day and night. Same principles, walking in the spirit. If you're walking in the spirit, you're meditating upon the word of God. And another way, a great practical verse for walking in the spirit would be Philippians 4.8, where it says, Finally, brethren, wherever things are true, wherever things are noble, wherever things are just, wherever things are pure, wherever things are lovely, wherever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if it's anything praiseworthy, meditate upon these things. And that is a very practical verse. If you think about it, if you're filling your mind with stuff of this world, you're filling your mind with essentially sin. But yet if you're filling your mind with all those things which are praiseworthy and good and of virtue, then you're not going to have time to fill your mind with the things of this world and the rubbish that is in this world. Very practical verse. But if you want to walk in the spirit, 
you've got to remember the words of the Lord, where he said in Zechariah 4, verse 6, where he, uh, the Lord said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And God was talking to the new governor of Judah at that time. The Israelites had returned from exile. They came to Jerusalem, which was in a mess, in complete ruins. And the people's lives was in complete ruin, full of sin and corruptfulness from the last 70 years. But yet God said to that governor, not by strength, not by might, but by my spirit, you shall rebuild this city and this people. So, Live by the power of the Spirit of God, filling your mind with the Word of God, and investing in your relationship with God. As Dan Arnold said, praying, praying regularly, and reading and studying the Word of God regularly. So what should our response be? Our response it's written for us where in verse 7 to 8, which says, I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. What should our response be? Worship. It should be praising our Father God in heaven with an uprightness heart, keeping his statutes. Uprightness of heart literally means straightness, honesty, integrity. Just look at the contrast between verse 7 and verse 6. Verse 6, the blessed man looked at God's words and felt ashamed, ashamed of his sinfulness, ashamed of the life he was living. But yet, here in verse 7, he says, I look at your words with uprightness of heart and I worship you. And you know what? If David truly wrote this psalm, then there's no one else who knows this better than him. After all, he was an adulterer, a murderer, and outright disobeyed God's word. But yet, he was called a man after God's own heart. And verse 8, at the end there, strong reminder. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Strong reminder that there's nothing within us that God should keep us. He is holy, we are non-holy. He is pure, we are defiled. He is sinless, we are sinful. But yet, as Mark said, it is nothing but his endless love which, by which he will not forsake us. And as Mark said a few weeks ago, that love is never going away. So Psalm 119, verse 1-3, to Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. He seek him with all the, the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Yes, in our flesh we cannot meet those standards. Yes, Jesus Christ met those standards for us. But yet, we also have that God-given responsibility to live our lives out as though we un were undefiled in the way. Live our lives out walking in in the law of the Lord, walking in the Spirit. We have that responsibility to keep his testimonies and to protect his testimonies and to seek him with all our heart. And we have that responsibility to walk before him in a holy life. 
So let's be that blessed, blessed man and woman, living the life that's honouring and pleasing to God and feeding the spirit that dwells within us, but not by might, not by strength, but by his Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we just thank you for the sacrifice, what you made by giving us your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. But Father, thank you that you did not leave us just to figure out life on our own, Lord, but that you gave us your Holy Spirit who empowers us and dwells within us, who convicts us of our sins and gives us all that we need to live our lives and honour and pleasing to you. And we thank you that you have called us to live lives of honour and pleasing to you, to live those holy lives, Lord. So, Lord, we pray that we'll just have the conviction to pray more, read more, study more your holy word to live those lives that glorifies you and is centred upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.